Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. That's true for the unsaved. Today is the day of salvation. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. I had a a funeral I attended on Friday of uh, an old friend, a dear friend, 68 years old, after a long illness, called home to glory. Have a few other funerals I'll be attending this week. There is no guarantee of tomorrow for any of us. Life is short. And so the time for salvation is now, but sometimes while we preach that message to those that we know who are lost, we as Christians then roll over and go back to sleep. And we forget the time is now not just for salvation, but the time is now for obedience. Obedience must be urgent in our lives. James chapter 1, verse 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. As I said last week, maybe the most powerful form of deception is self-deception. We deceive ourselves when we hear God's word, when we know God's word, when we know the answers to the question that the preacher asks, but we don't live in response and in reality to the word of God and what it commands. And the reality is how we live exposes what we truly believe. What, not what we say we believe, but what we truly believe. Now, none of us are perfect. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to fall. But what is the pattern of my life? What is the pattern? Because the pattern of my life exposes what it is I truly believe about God, what it is I truly believe about myself, what, I, what it is I truly believe about others. And as I shared with you last week, Christians are free from the power of sin. We're free from the power of the law. We're free from the power of death. But freedom in Christ is not freedom from Christ. It is freedom in Christ, freedom to serve Christ, freedom to live as a child of God. We were created for obedience. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this book, this short book, is about the urgency of obedience. Time is short. We need to act on what we know today. Now, since this is the end of the book and the end of our study of Titus, let me just very quickly give you an overview of what we have seen and remind you what we've seen over the last few months together. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 gives us that intro, that threefold theme of the book that we are, every church is called to, will be graded on how we 
Number one, advance the faith. Number two, proclaim the truth. And number three, inspire godliness. When we talk about advancing the faith, we're talking about the system. The faith is a theological term. It doesn't just mean my faith and your faith. It means the faith. Some will depart from the faith in the latter days. The Spirit expressly says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Some will depart from the faith. Does that mean that they were once saved and they're no longer saved? No, it means that they leave the system. They, they were born into the church. Maybe their parents are Christians or maybe they grew up in the church, going to youth group, but then they get out of church and they go off to college or maybe they, something else happens in their life and they depart from the faith, from the system. We are to proclaim and advance the preaching and teaching, the system that preaches and teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and defends the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are to do that in part by proclaiming the truth, the truth about who Jesus is, the truth about the word of God. This is the word of truth. Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth and the life. And so we are to preach Jesus and his word. And we're to preach the whole counsel of God, Paul says. Paul says, I did not fail to, to preach to you the Ephesian church in Acts he says, I did not fail to give you the whole counsel of God. We need to cover the whole thing. And we do it not just to know it, but to obey it. We are to also inspire godliness by living Christ-like obedience to God. And that's what we see unpacked in the next few chapters. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. The importance and qualifications of elders or pastors so that we can have leadership in doing those three things so that we can have someone teaching God's word to us, preaching God's word, preaching the gospel and calling you to obedience. That is what I will be graded on first. Excuse me. Second Timothy chapter four. I am uh, given a, a holy charge before God to preach the word, to be inst instant in season, out of season, to reprove, reprove, rebuke and exhort with all doctrine and long suffering, that is what I will be graded on as a pastor. We as a church will be graded on that as well. And so in uh, chapter one, verses nine through 16, after establishing the, important of the importance of the leadership, the pastoral leadership, Paul talks about the importance of correcting and exposing false teachers and why that matters. We're going to revisit that again tonight. And then in chapter two, we looked at doctrine driven deeds. We need to know what the truth is so that we know how to live according to it. It's not just head knowledge. It is truth as direction. It is doctrine as direction for how we live our lives. Doctrine matters. And I, uh, when we talked through that, uh, we spent, I think, three weeks in those ten verses, uh, three or four weeks, I think three weeks, we talked about it needed to be definitive doctrine. It needed to be correct doctrine. What you believe matters. What you believe about prophecy matters. If you believe that Jesus, as the scriptures teach, could return at any moment to snatch us away, that's going to provoke in you or should provoke in you a very different life than if you think that it's our job, as, as, as some teach, that we are supposed to fix the world and then Jesus is just going to show up and, and give us an attaboy. You're going to have a very different perspective on the world around you depending on what doctrine you hold doctrine matters and so we have to 
make sure we know what it is, but then we have to put those things into practice. Then we talked about the motive and the, um, the means for our obedience in chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, uh, grace-based obedience, grace being God's favor. And we've shared before that we need grace for salvation. We need saving grace. We are saved not by our works. We're saved by His grace. We receive that grace when we take that step of faith and admit that we're a sinner and we believe that Jesus Christ is the only and all-sufficient payment for our sin, that He paid for our sin on the cross. He shed His blood in payment for sin and He rose victoriously on the third day, literally, physically came out of that grave showing that He was sinless, showing that He is the God of every God that He claimed to be. And then we call upon Him for that forgiveness. We call upon Him as God as the Lord, we call upon Him and He saves us. He forgives us of all unrighteousness. And we then have serving grace. Serving grace, the favor of God on our obedience. We want God's favor on our life. You want God's favor on your marriage. You want God's favor on your employment. Even if you want a different job, it's because you want God's favor on your life. You want God's favor on your kids, on your grandkids. I hope that you're praying for God's favor on our church. We want God's favor on our community. That's why we're praying about this crusade that's coming in September with uh, evangelist Jay Louder, who's going to be coming and preaching the gospel to our community. We can't expect people to just show up. We have to be praying about who God would have us to invite and yes, even take with us that need to hear the gospel. You say, well, they won't, they won't say yes. Well, you don't know that until you ask. And you don't have to just ask once. Now, don't be a nag. Don't, be, uh, don't hound somebody uh, unless the Holy Spirit specifically tells you to. But you invite and you pray and you ask God to change their heart if they say no. And you get them there. Grace-based obedience. We want God's favor on all that we do. We talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's his mercy. And then last time we were together, chapter three, verses one through eight, devoted to doing the things that we've learned and studied uh, in this short book. Now, we're going to pick it up tonight uh, and we're going to end with urgency, because as you're going to see in these last few verses, these are not throwaway verses. This is not rush past this. We're going to talk about ending with urgency, living with urgency, and I want to pick up where we left off last week in verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God. It's not just, we don't just repeat the gospel for the unsaved who might be here or who might be watching online or who might hear the podcast. We do it for us. I need the gospel repeated to me. I need to preach the gospel to myself because it's the cross of Christ that shows me and reminds me how much God loves me and shows me that even when I was yet a sinner, because I know the devil is many times in my life when I've fallen and I've stumbled and I've failed and the devil's come along and said, God can't use you. But God's word says, if I confess that sin, I take it to him. He is faithful and just because he's my daddy. He's my Abba. And if I sincerely bring that to him, he will, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I need to remember the power of God in the empty tomb. That there is resurrection power 
that lives inside of me. Romans chapter 8, if the Spirit who raised Christ lives in you, then He'll give life to your mortal bodies. I can overcome whatever it is I'm facing inside me, whether it's a physical issue, whether it's an emotional issue, a spiritual issue. I am an overcomer because God has declared that all who are in Christ are more than overcomers, more than conquerors through Him and His love for us. And I know that He has not just love for me, but the power to accomplish what He has promised. I need to affirm this constantly that I might be careful to maintain good works. This is what is good and profitable. And so first here in verse 8, I want you to see the urgency, the urgency that Paul places on affirming truth and godliness. Truth that you already know. Truth that you need, though, to be reminded of. And again, we see the threefold theme that uh, we have uh, hammered on this nail the entire series that we need to focus on gospel preaching, focus on truth teaching, and focus on godly living. That's what chapter 3 again repeats for us. But the reality is that my obedience requires constant reminders and constant care. I need to constantly be reminded of things and challenged, and I need to give constant care to it. If I let it go, it's not going to get better. Nobody rolls out of bed in the morning and becomes more spiritual by accident. I rolled out of bed and I hit my head and now I'm more holy than I was last night. Doesn't work that way. You ever hit your head rolling out of bed or stubbed your toe or, toe or sometimes, I mean, thank the Lord, um, I haven't had any sciatica flare-ups for, for a few months, but I know there's times when in the past when I've woken up and getting out of bed is itself a challenge and that pain does not make you feel more spiritual it makes you question your relationship with God it doesn't make you stronger by itself it's how you react to that so you got to give care to it you got to make it a priority it has to be urgent and notice that this urgency Paul says comes from the impact that it has not just on myself but on those around me this is Good, these things that we talked about are good and profitable unto man, unto everyone around us. The closest person in proximity to me every morning is my wife. The next closest person is my son. And then I drop him off at school. And then I uh, most days roll into the office and see either Stacy or Robin. Elmer's here a lot of times. Elmer's here before me most, most every day when he's here. How do I impact others? How do I impact the people? And then, of course, I'm here on Wednesday nights. I'm here on Sunday nights with you. I'm here throughout the week. How I shop when I'm in the store. I'm involved at uh, Elijah's School at Calvary. I'm very involved there. How I impact the people that I interact with there. How I impact others matter. It matters to God, it should matter to me, but it also can have a very positive impact. And you know that, you know from the impact that other people have had on you. You know the blessing that other people have had when you needed that word of encouragement and God brought somebody into your life who gave that word in season. Or when you needed that word of rebuke and you didn't like it when you heard it, but after it sat on you for a while and the Spirit used and kind of prodded you with it and then you appreciated later 
the rebuke that you, the loving rebuke, I'm not talking about the jerk on the internet, I'm talking about the loving rebuke of a friend who challenged you, called you on something. I, uh, at the funeral on Friday, my friend Roger, there, uh, there was a number of people, uh, I always get a little nervous at a, at a memorial service when, the, when it's opened up for, um, for comments from the, from the congregation, because you're always afraid that nobody will speak up. Uh, and then once in a once in a blue moon, somebody will just kind of say something that's completely out of left field. And um, uh, remember, one, there was this one funeral that a pastor I know did, and this woman got up and she had prepared this poem, and it was just completely out of left field, and it just completely changed the whole tone of the service at that point. You're always nervous, but then once in a while, I remember Sherry Stump's funeral and and, and other services that I've been a part of where. People just begin to share, and it's just this really uh, healing process of people sharing testimonies and, and just some of the testimonies that were shared about Roger and about the impact, listen, the impact he had at work, people that he worked with, the impact that he had at his job. And listen, you know a guy's great when he works for PennDOT and people still love him. That shows you the, the work of Christ in somebody. Uh, because uh, if, if you're not familiar with PennDOT, uh, PennDOT does not have the greatest reputation uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, he, uh, just a tremendous man, and, and I don't say that to, to glorify Roger, I say that to, to remind you that when you obey God, it has a positive impact on the people around you. It has a transforming impact on the people around you. The urgency comes from the impact it has on others. Now, notice as we look at verse 9, there's another urgency here. The urgency as we affirm truth and as we affirm godliness, we have to be very, very careful, especially in the social media age, that we avoid arguing. Verse 9 says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Contrasting what is profitable and beneficial, Paul says, getting into arguments about doctrine, getting into arguments about the law, getting into arguments about, for example, Sabbath. Paul says to the Colossians, some people have a strong opinion this way. Some people have a strong opinion that way. Chapter 2, Colossians, let each one be firmly convinced. We don't, we, th these things, why, why are you getting caught up? I, I, or is it Romans where he says that everyone be, yes, Romans where he says let everyone be thoroughly convinced in his own mind. And Colossians, he says, don't let people bring you under, under bondage to the, um, to the Sabbaths, but be convicted. You know, if, you, if you feel like one day, then that's when, that's when you serve God. You do that on that day. But don't try to use it as an argument and a weapon in arguing with other Christians and being obnoxious about it. Follow your conviction. Speak what, you, speak what the Word of God says. Not your truth, right? But the truth. Speak what the Word of God says, but then don't argue. Listen, I've changed my view on, on some things over the years. Sometimes I changed it back as I spend more time in the Scriptures. And as I stopped listening to certain preachers who, who I realized had very bad theology and had, had an impact on me. 
And I went back. But here's what I can tell you. I have never changed anyone's opinion by arguing with them, ever. Nor has anyone ever changed my opinion by arguing with me. You're not going to change somebody. You're going you're to make them hunker down. You're going to make them go into the bunker when you start to argue. Don't argue about these things. Don't be argumentative. Avoid those kind of foolish disputes and genealogies here has to do with these Jews who wanted to uh, you know, say, well, I'm a descendant of this uh, patriarch or I'm a descendant of that patriarch or I'm a descendant of this prophet. And so that's, Paul says, oh, that's pointless. doesn't matter. Do you know Jesus? That's what matters. doesn't matter who your daddy is. doesn't matter who your mommy is. Do you know Jesus? That's what matters. Don't get caught up in those different things. Avoid strivings of the law. You know, it was uh, interesting, the speaker this morning, uh, Pastor uh, Kemp, he talked about throwing aside the weights that hinder us in Hebrews chapter 12, and I already had this in my notes. If the devil can't defeat you, he will distract you. If he can't defeat you, he'll distract you. Pastor Wynn this morning talked about how the devil will try to distract us with things that are not sin in and of themselves, but they can become distractions and weights in our life. Don't let the devil distract you with spending time on. Uh, I just a lot of times people have tried to comment on on some of my posts on Facebook. And, and most of the time, if it's something I think this is going to be cause an argument by experience. I just lock the comments out. I just, I'm not, because I'm not wasting time. I'm not spending two hours on, on a Thursday night anymore going back and forth with somebody on Facebook. I'm not wasting my time with that anymore. Uh, I have never changed anyone's opinion through arguing with them, and nobody's ever changed my opinion. So just avoid that. But there is an urgency to that because our, because our nature says, well, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Yes, but you can have the truth and not act lovingly in presenting the truth, speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4 says. So the urgency of avoiding arguing. Now look at verse, verses 10 through 11, because there's another urgency and there's a balance to this. All of this has to be kept in balance. You can take any of these things to an extreme and then you lose the spirit of what Paul is saying. So listen to verses 10 and 11. Even though we avoid arguing over foolish issues, there are some things that we must argue for and against and some lines which must be drawn. There are certain things that I'm not going to argue about, but there are other things that we must draw the line. So Paul says it this way, reject a, the King James says, divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning being self-condemned. You don't need to worry about condemning them. We're not the ones condemning them. They have already condemned themselves. Now, this word uh, that's translated divisive is the word for heretic. Paul says that we, in the Greek, that we need to confront for the correction, for the correction, not the humiliation of the heretic, but confront for the correction of the heretic. Now, what is a heretic? Well, this Greek word literally means to, to choose. And the idea here is that someone who takes, they choose a doctrine and they take it and they distort it 
and they twist it and they build a false theology out of it. And then they distort the gospel because of it. Used to meet with a man who um, called, uh, calls himself uh, a Christian who does not believe uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, does not believe in the divinity of the Holy Spirit, and as a result does not believe in the um, eternality of Jesus Christ, believes that Jesus Christ became God, uh, that's a line that I will not cross. That's a line that has to be drawn in the sand. Now, we met with him lovingly, but after a, after a few meetings, I, I said, look, I'm done. I'm out. Because Paul says, don't get consumed and don't get caught up in this. Don't, don't get sucked into the vortex, into the black hole of, of always confronting, confronting. He said, listen, you want to confront in the hopes that God will correct them. But at some point, you have to move on. You have to reject because they are teaching something that will send people to hell. Because a Jesus who is not really God cannot save you. Jesus who was born a man and became God cannot save you because he is a fictional character. You, you might as well be, be trusting in Captain America to save you. Or the Avengers, you'll have just as much luck getting to heaven with the help of the Avengers because that's a fictional Jesus. That's a fictional hero. That's just a fairy tale. You have to come to the Jesus of history. You have to come to the Jesus of eternity. You have to come to the Jesus of the scriptures and you have to be saved by him. I can't just shout somebody's name. Start talk. We got a couple Dave's in the room here tonight. Can't just start talking about Dave or talking to Dave without identifying which Dave I'm talking to. You have to know the Jesus that you're communicating with and to. And so you have to confront the heretic, someone who specifically takes an aspect of the gospel and twists it and distorts it and builds a theology out of it. Confront it. But you have to also, along with confronting it, you must prioritize the protection of the hearer. Why do you reject them? It's not, you're not being, you're not the one being judgmental. They have judged themselves, Paul says. They have condemned themselves. You need to be concerned about the people who will be influenced by them. And this is why the most kind and loving man who ever lived stood and pointed his finger at the Pharisees and said, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You guys are a brood of vipers. He didn't say that on day one, but they heard him and they rejected him and they heard him and they rejected him. And Jesus just began to call them on it. Say, that's that's how is that loving? How is that kind? No, it's kind because of the people. Jesus said that they were sending to hell. Jesus said they're making people uh, uh, twice the citizens of hell as they are because people are buying in. And so we have to understand the important. We have to be willing to die on the hill of the gospel because it is eternal in its consequences. We have to prioritize, Paul says, the protection of the hearer. And we have to, thirdly, realize the ramifications of their habits. What does that mean? 
Paul says, listen, guys, you need to be aware. You need to know that such a person, they're warped. They're, they're sinning. It's a lifestyle sin when you preach a false heretical gospel that sends people to hell. You have to realize the ramifications of their habits. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7. By their fruits you will know them. Watch out. Watch out, Jesus said, for the wolves in sheep's clothing. Because they are coming not to feed, but to fleece and to feast on the flock. They are going to destroy people's faith in God. If you allow it. And it's why Satan is targeting our kids and our young people in the schools, sadly, in many churches. And what are we what are, what do you hear? You're being you're not being loving. You're not being loving. You don't want that drag queen to to speak in that library to those little kids. Oh, you're you're hateful. You're unloving. No, you're hateful. You're unloving. You are the one who is uh, warped and sinning and self-condemned. And you'll give an account to God for that. We will give an account for how we respond to that. There is a great urgency in confronting heresy because of the impact that it has, the unprofitable, destructive impact that it has on the hearer. Notice also, though, in verses 12 through 13, that Paul moves on to the urgency of ministry, the urgency of ministry. He says, when I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, he does not even sure yet because my dad likes to say the 11th commandment is be ye flexible. And if you're involved in ministry, you know, you got to be flexible because things are you can't plan it all out, even even when you make your plans according to to what you believe is God's will. James says, when you, when you plan, you better say, if it's God's will, here's what I'm going to do. If it's God's will, here's what we're going to do. The urgency of ministry. He said, I'm not sure if it's going to be Artemis or Tychicus, but when I send them, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack Nothing. Now, there's a lot that we could say about this, but the main point that I main two points that I want to get over, uh, get across to you today. Is that ministry is urgent and therefore it must be a priority. Minister, your ministry must be a priority. Now, he's talking to someone who is in vocational ministry. And so for those of us who are in vocational ministry, we make our living by the ministry, we are vocational servants of God. For us, it is Trinity 1, family 2, ministry 3. Any other activity has to be number 4. Any other activity, there are things that I will not do that are not sins, but I know that if I do that, even though it's not a sin, it could impact my ministry. And I so I'm, I'm, why would I do it? Why would I do it? Why would I, why would I fight a battle I don't need to fight? Trinity one, family number two, ministry has to be number three. Now, for you who are not vocational, you have a vocation that has to come in there too, right? You have to be providing for your family. You have other responsibilities, but you need to have a ministry 
You have a spiritual gift if you're a Christian. You need to have a ministry, and it must be a priority in your life. Because you're not doing it for men, you're doing it for God. So find your ministry and make it a priority. Here's the second thing I would tell you about ministry, and we see it in these verses. Ministry requires teamwork. Ministry requires teamwork. Yes, there will be times, as in the lion's den, when God calls us to stand alone. There are times when you will have to stand alone. At the end of 2 Timothy, Paul is mostly alone, although he tells us, well, Luke is here also. Luke is here, but Timothy, I need you to get here. I need you here. You know how those doctors can be, you know, they, especially when you need, you know, you don't like to be, especially if you don't like to be doctored and the doctor is the one person that's with you and they're always, you need, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. Timothy, get here. I need somebody else to talk to. Ministry requires teamwork. We can't do it alone. Even Paul needed help. Paul couldn't be everywhere. You can't be everywhere. I can't be everywhere. Uh, I need help. You need help. Uh, we, one of the things that we see, and I'm going to be speaking, Lord willing, uh, at the CCA Chapel again tomorrow morning, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the priority of the pastor has to be the preaching. That is the priority. That's not the only thing that we do. That's not the only responsibility, but it must be the priority. And so there are other, that's why we have the office of deacon. That's why in our church we have trustees. That's why we have other uh, Bible study teachers. That's why we have people running the sound and, and running the video so that I'm not trying to run back and forth or standing up here trying to do everything all by myself. You don't want to see me play guitar. <laughs> Nobody would be able to sing along with that. We need each other. It takes a team to do ministry. Paul says, listen, you need to help me and you need to help them and you, you're going to need help too, Titus. So that from the urgency of ministry, we go into verse 14, the urgency of fruitful service, the urgency of fruitful service. And let ours also learn to maintain good works. In other words, the people that we are serving, the people that we are preaching to, Titus, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. One translation says to meet urgent needs, to meet urgent needs. Now, in this short verse, we see four things about fruitfulness. Number one, it takes learning. You're going to have to learn some things to be fruitful. You're going to have to learn some things to be fruitful. So being here on a Sunday evening is a great start. Getting in God's word every day is where you need to be. There are things you need to learn, and we have incredible access. Our speaker this morning, he shared it also at the men's retreat at New Life this weekend. Yes, our phones can be incredible distractions, but they are also amazing tools that we have to be able to access God's word at any time of day. If our phone is on us, we have access to the word of God. We have access to ministry opportunities online. There are people that I can, people, I don't have their phone number, but I can send a message. I can communicate that way. There, there's tremendous things that we can learn so that we can serve, so that we can do, but we have to always be learning more and more 
about God's word so that we can be more and more fruitful. The second thing, though, is faithfulness. To maintain good works. To maintain it. Not so that we can have a good year and get a trophy and then for the next couple years we look at our shelf, hey, that was a great summer I had serving you, God. That was a great missions trip we went on three years ago when I served you that summer three years ago. Now, you may be physically limited, but you're not spiritually limited. We need some, prayer. We need some more prayer warriors in this church, I can tell you that. We need some more prayer warriors in this church. There are other things that you can do that don't require you getting up here and standing uh, on the stage that you can serve, that you can have an impact on others, but we have to do it faithfully. We have to do it faithfully. Not just rolling over in our spiritual slumber and hitting the snooze button every Sunday whenever the Word of God says something that convicts us and we think, I'll get to that, I'll get to that next Sunday. No, we have to make it an urgent priority to start learning and then to stay faithful in learning. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 that you will reap a harvest if, if you faint not. But how many rewards have I lost in my life because I didn't cross the finish line? Oh, I was working, I was serving, but then I got discouraged or I got frustrated or... I used to have a bad temper. Praise God that he delivered me from that before I ever got married. I used to have a bad temper. And uh, man, how many, how many times did I lose a reward because I just I got mad and stormed out or quit or got grumpy? Was the grumpy monkey? That's a book for kids if you haven't seen that with your grandkids. Faithfulness. Number three, he says, uh, we need compassion. We need to meet people's needs. We need to have compassion. You want to be fruitful. It's not just fruitfulness for me. What happens to fruit that doesn't get eaten? It rots. We used to have peach, where we lived in Hyman, we had peach trees. And uh, I was never up there picking the peach trees in time. By the time I got up there, I was running over them with the lawnmower. And they were rotten on the ground. Fruitfulness is not for me. Fruitfulness is for you. And your fruitfulness is not for you. It's for your family. It's for your church family. It's to impact the people that you work with. We need to have compassion. But notice, listen, we need to have discernment. We need to have discernment. Paul says that they might be uh, diligent to meet what kind of needs? Necessary needs. Necessary. I have a little note in my King James. It says urgent needs. Urgent needs. You have to have discernment. Because there's only 24 hours a day. And we all have limited incomes. And we all have limited energy. Even the young, Isaiah 40 says grow weary. That's why we all need to wait on the Lord to renew our strength. But you're going to get weary. So you are going to have to use discernment to prioritize. Now, I will try to visit people in their homes. I will try to visit people um, other places in the hospital, but I prioritize the hospital visit. If I know someone's in the hospital, 
And especially if I know they're open to a visit, I'll, I'll make it a priority if I'm able to get there to visit them uh, because that is a, is a necessary, urgent situation. doesn't mean that I never visit anyone in their home. If, if someone invites me or if someone says, hey, I think so-and-so would really appreciate a visit, I'll, I will certainly make an effort to, to uh, prioritize that. But uh, my priorities have to start with what, it, what are the urgent needs? And you have to make those decisions as well. I can't give to every need. And you, and you know, you give to an organization one time, you get that, you get that uh, request every week. You get that envelope in the mail. It's urgent, it's urgent, it's urgent. Well, I know it's urgent, but I have to discern how God wants me to meet the urgent needs. So use discernment so that you know what is the necessary uses. What are the urgent needs? When you will keep learning and you'll stay faithful and you act in compassion towards others and you ask God for the discernment to know when to step in and where to serve and where to give, then you will be fruitful and fruitfulness will impact all of us. And so in closing, we see verse 15, Paul says, all that are with me salute thee, greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Four things here uh, very quickly. Paul greets the church. Paul loves the church. Paul stresses the faith of the church, and Paul reminds us of God's grace for the church. Those are four good places, even though that's where we end, those are some good places for us to start. How am I at greeting others at church? How am I at greeting others? Now, I know some of us are, uh, are extroverts and some of us are introverts, and it's harder for those of us who are introverts. I understand that. I, when I was younger, I was very socially awkward, never wanted to be the one standing up front. I was very socially awkward when I was younger, especially if there were pretty girls in the room. I did not know how to act. And so uh, now that I have a beautiful woman in the room, I know, I know how to act. I'm fine. But um, when I was younger, I was very introverted. So you may have a harder time with this, but this is a good place to start. Greet people when you come to church. Just don't come in, find a seat, sit down, get up, leave. Greet others when you're here. Try to make those connections. I know it's harder for some of you than others. Some of you are just extra. Some of you are, are suffering when you're not here. Some of you don't know how to be alone. You have to work on that. But we all have to be, work on our greeting. We have to make sure that we are acting in love, that we really genuinely love the church. Say, the church hurt me. Well, yeah, the church has hurt me too. I've been hurt by Christians or professing Christians more than by the unsaved people I've known. But if Jesus loves the church, and I love Jesus, and it's his church, I better love the church too. Don't tell me you love me and you hate my wife. I don't, I don't need that kind of friendship. I got enough friends. You, you, you love me, but you hate my wife? Nah, see ya. See you later. You better love my wife. You want to say you, you love me, but you hate my son? Nah, I got enough friends. Go find somebody else to, to, to burden. You want to love me? You better love my kids, right? And that's how you feel. How would you feel if, if you thought the preacher didn't like your wife or your husband or your kids? You say, well, I don't like them either. I don't like my spouse either. Well, listen, you, you need to love them, okay? need to love them. And we need to love the bride of Christ. We need to love the children of God. I, don't always get a, I didn't always get along with my sister when I was a kid, but I, listen, I love my sister She's one of the very 
probably three people I would die for, my wife, my son, my sister. My parents are, you know, they're getting older, so I, I don't know, that'd be. <laughs> I'll just see if you're still, look, still listening. All right. The faith of the church, the teaching of the church, the preaching of the gospel, and then we all need God's grace, don't we? We all need God's grace. And if we'll start there, we'll be a church that is fruitful and faithful and one that will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, God, we're so thankful for uh, your patience with us, for your encouragement for us. And God, uh, that you would call us, that you would, that you would call us your own children. And Father, we are rebellious children, but God, you love us and you're faithful to us. So God, help us to grow up in the faith, to grow up in your family, to love your children, to love Jesus, your bride, and God, to be the fruitful, faithful servants of God that you, by your spirit, have equipped us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to have a time right now, as we do on Sunday nights. We're not going to sing a song, but as uh, Karen and Dean play, I just want to give you a time to respond, to do business with the Holy Spirit. If you need to come forward, have someone pray with you. Um, we have deacons, deacons' wives that will, that will pray with you. But I just want to give you a time right where you are, something that God's Word shared, something that God spoke to you through His Word tonight. Uh, I want to give you some time to do business with the Holy Spirit before we leave here tonight. for each and every person here. Help us, Father, by your Spirit, through your Word, through, God, our willingness to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. God, lift us up into that purpose, into the mission you have for us, God, the service that you have for us, the fruitfulness that you have for each of us, God, that we might, God, be a blessing to others, and God, bring glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who died for us, the one who rose again, our great high priest in heaven, who is even now interceding for us, our precious Jesus, Lord. We praise you and thank you for the grace that we have in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you again. Hope that you'll come out on Wednesday night and be with us for Awana and our worship service. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. 
They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.